नमस्ते 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 वेलकम पॉडकास्ट आई एम योर होस्ट भार्गव करिका पार्टी एंड दिस इज योर वन स्टॉप शॉप फॉर ऑल थिंग्स पॉलिटिक्स मीम्स करंट अफेयर्स एंड कल्चर टूडे ऑन आर फर्स्ट एपिसोड वी आर ज्वाइन बाई माई क्लोज फ्रेंड एंड ऑनेस्टली वन ऑफ द स्मार्टेस्ट पीपल आई नो पशुपति जोशी वी आर बिन स्टडिंग जर्नलिज्म एंथ्रोपोलॉजी इकोनॉमिक्स एंड फाइनेंस फॉर नियरली थ्री ईयर्स The topic for today is the Great Divide, the paralyzing polarity of politics. So, before we start, Pashupati, I have a question for you. How would you describe India in one word? Yeah, Bharatov. Actually, uh, firstly, it's 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 actually a great honor for me to be here. And as as you know, for me, it's it's a delight to discuss uh, politics, economics, and other stuff with you. uh and to answer your question uh well i think india cannot be described in just one word but if if you want to force me to do that i would say it's dharma dharma yeah interesting very interesting okay now the second one how would you describe democracy in one word democracy uh okay i might have a controversial opinion on this but i think it's hmm. uh, dk Is what I think. Wait, pardon me. What did you say? I said D K D E C A Y. D K. Huh. Interesting. And yeah. How would you describe Indian politics? Vibrance in D K. <laughs> I I know it's <laughs> I know it's not a, a a single word, but yeah. Uh huh. That's that's what I'm thinking. Okay. So. Dharma for India, yeah. DK for politics, but uh, for democracies, for democracy. Yeah, yeah, for for democracy. My bad, my bad. Yeah. But a vibrance of DK for Indian politics. Yeah. Interest. I mean, I'm pretty sure we can elaborate more of this as we move on. Mm-hmm. But let's get to the topic at hand: the yeah. Great Divide. This this as a student is very very interesting to me because. I know I got interested in politics when Trump came to power because for some reason it was a very big deal for the entire world and rightly so America was the most important country in the world is the most important country in the world and people should be concerned with what happens in their country but I remember getting more interested in Indian politics long after Modi came to power so long after 2014 It was surprising because now that I look back, the 2014 elections were truly a miracle. You know, considering India's past, mm. uh, the past regimes that ruled, the past parties that ruled, mm. the way the market for BJP's so-called Hindutva politics had no market share, but all of a sudden here comes a party that breaks the Congress's monopoly in such a sheer fashion. You know. Hmm. A random party from Gujarat, a dry state where everyone thinks it's all about, you know, sweet food and good roads, suddenly takes over the entire country. You know, the Modi wave, so called. Hmm. But the part where me as a student got interested in this politics, we were so called born into a very divided society, not us. Both a social society and a political society, you know. Mm. Suddenly, a party 
which was tainted by decades of corruption and you know uh, political autocracy so to speak mm-hmm. had suddenly become the uh, spearhead of all thing liberal and a party with such a massive mandate with the force of the people at their back had suddenly become this fascist regime that was overthrowing everything democratic in this country right why do you think india became so divided all of a sudden um i i actually don't buy the argument that india is more divided now than it is than it was uh, say maybe 15 years ago i think india is more united than it was uh, ever since like maybe since 1947 i'll i'll really put forth a few uh, arguments of mine for this uh-huh. uh see firstly uh, in 2014 uh, when when the bjp government got the mandate of you know more than the required number of seats that you need mm-hmm. yes that was that was something that hadn't happened in a few decades and if i'm not wrong it hadn't happened in three decades Okay. I think the last time it happened was during the time of Rajiv Gandhi, and after him it was just the coalition leaders. Correct. It happened again in 2019, and Modi got 300 seats. Okay. Correct. So, you know, the electorate is speaking something to us. Okay. What it is saying is that. enough of the divisions that have existed from earlier which are you know caste based divisions or whatever sort of divisions we will now vote uh, by thinking on a on a on an individual basis and not from a group identity basis i i believe that if a person thinks for himself if a person is thinking individual and not from a group identity that is mm-hmm. that is a sign of maturity okay. if, if you are if you are thinking in in terms of uh, like your flock your people your community then you understand it's uh, it's, it's a bit uh, tribalistic it's, it's a bit uh, it's, it's, bit, uh, it's a bit more towards feudalism and that is what i i i think that uh, that is what the other parties you know uh, samajwadi party Bahujan Samaj Party in UP are giving the example of. So this is what these uh, parties have yeah. exploited, right? In so many years of their uh, mm-hmm. uh, of, of their power, right? This is what they have been doing. Yeah. But when you when you come to these last two elections, what you see is that people are voting not from a not from a mindset of caste but from a different mindset now people say that it's it's a hindu mindset i refuse to believe that what i say is that this is something and this is a development actually that is that that has reached the people that have never seen development okay this is why those people have voted modi back in mm-hmm. power and with reinforced sort of a mandate okay this is something which makes me think which makes me believe that people are not 
as divided as the media portrays it to be. It's just a narrative that exists out there in the ether. It's, it's not true. The truth is that sure, there, there are divisions. There have been divisions. But today, these divisions are lesser in magnitude and also in, um, you know, in perspective. In perspective, in my perspective, what I mean is, uh, you take the perspective of the left. Okay, mm -hmm. now they see this huge block of uh, some sort of right-wing politics. I'm sure that people identify BJP as a right-wing mm -hmm. uh, party, but what, what 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 people don't understand is that the BJP was not at all right-wing economically, at least since uh, at least in their first term. Yeah. They were pretty. Socialistic in their uh, yes. in their economic policies, but now they have taken a right turn since the uh, since this budget, the 2021 budget. Actually, I think that this this right turn has sealed the deal on what kind of politics uh, the BJP, or rather the what or rather what kind of economic policies BJP has in its mind for the future. So coming back to the point, what I think is that these divisions are the perspective or the point of angle or the point of view of the left and the left-funded ecosystem, which, which is meant by the media. Okay, And these people are unfortunately in a place where uh, they control the majority of the narrative. So what they say sticks, what they say uh, leaves an imprint, uh, not just on our people, but people who are viewing our politics from outside. What I mean is, uh, you know, the, the Western media also. So in my opinion, I don't think that uh, uh, India is divided. I think that we are more united because, you know, people are not voting uh, just because someone from their group identity has stood up in the election. It, it's not that... Uh, tribalistic or it's not that primitive anymore. I would call it primitive, unfortunately, but that, that's how it is, okay? That's that's how, that's how it, it was. Now it's, I think we are evolving and uh, this sort of a political maturity, I would say, political maturity should be respected and not frowned upon like these people are saying. These people are just uh, saying that, oh, it's some Hindu club. No, it's not. It's because of development. Let's look at this this way. Okay. The BJP came to power in 2014, and obviously right. they came to power because there was some kind of a, a path that was laid down before them. I mean, they walked on a path that was set by uh, the Vajpayee government, the Adwani government, and whatever. They had installed the goalposts that BJP had to uh, fulfill the requirements of meeting before they came to power, or at least promised them to meet. I mean, Let's say the construction of Ram Mandir was one agenda that BJP came to power on. I mean, mm -hmm. they fulfilled, rightly so. But that was one of the biggest agendas. Okay. And the arrival of the Modi government coincided with the arrival, so-called arrival, of India's internet revolution, you know, with the arrival of Geo, which mm -hmm. essentially guaranteed that even the poorest person in India could at least afford to use the internet in some form or some form or another, you know? Mm -hmm. And this in some way has allowed for a resurgence of a so-called 
right wing community now i won't call it right wing i'd rather call it the non left because okay. i i truly believe that apart from the uh, political left and right there is no social left and right in india there's only the left and the non left but the arrival of the bjp government has led to uh, an increase in this so called hindutva movement i mean it's not so called it's an obvious movement and we know what hindutva means i'm not saying mm. that it's wrong it's definitely not wrong mm. people like to scare people saying oh no a hindutva mob is a bad mob but let's be honest here uh, what's the worst that a hindutva mob has done they've done some bad stuff sure but you can't generalize all of them under the same banner or the same tag but what i'm mm. saying is with the arrival of the bjp government we started seeing a resistance and it's not a resistance or resistance might be a wrong word but an awakening you know mm. for mm. simple matters let's let's take my example and i i i may not be the prime example for the majority of students across india but at least i do not know at least even until 2 or 3 years back that hindu temples are the only religious institutions that are controlled administered and taxed by the government right. now i'm pretty sure there are many people who don't know this people should know it but they don't sadly but without the arrival of the bjp government i do not think so many people would be comfortable in speaking out for what is wrong you know mm. and whether you call it coincidence or whether you call it communalism i don't know what the word for it is speaking out about the injustices to one community in this case the majority community has become sort of divisive you know the you can say that the bengal government in 2016 built a hajj hotel i don't know if it's a hotel or a pilgrimage site or a health center i don't know what the correct word for it is but the bengal government used some 2 or 20 crores of taxpayer money to build a hajj center for muslims or the minority community mm-hmm. so that is allowed in a secular country but for some reason only the majority the religious institutions of the majority community are taxed so i don't get this logic and somehow speaking of that leads to you know societal divisions so why i may be right in speaking out about the injustices isn't it true to say that with the arrival of this government there have been an increase in fault lines within society okay i understand your point uh, so let let me get back to the earlier argument from your from this entire piece which you said earlier you said that uh, certain promises that bjp had to keep yes they had this but the way they came to power right in 2015 was not exactly because uh, they were just saying that okay we will be going to or it's not because they said that uh, you know uh, the hindu temples are you know being taxed or something so that's what we're going to reform you didn't say that what they said is that they had this gujarat model 
and they said, okay, look at this model. We're going to replicate this model across India and going to provide them with them to develop as well as now again the Hindutva uh, the angle which is there, sure, it is very genuine. People are actually uh, it, it's, it's a serious matter. Yes. Hindus across India face a face a massive problem in terms of conversion both from uh, the Islamic entities and the Christian entities. There are all sorts of uh, uh, violence which are committed against uh, Hindus, which just go unnoticed. And there, there was also uh, this agenda, which was done, if I'm not wrong, uh, after the 26-11 attacks, there was this whole uh, sort of a narrative being built that terrorism doesn't have a religion. And at the same time, and just a few years earlier, you had the uh, uh, the, uh, the colonel. Yeah, exactly. The, I, I forgot. Yeah, colonel Purohit. Colonel Purohit and yes. then there was uh, uh, the Sadhvi. Right. So these people were uh, arrested. So I'm not saying that you should arrest. We have uh, we have some sort of a, uh, we have evidence to back it up. Then nobody should stop them from arresting. But at the same time, you cannot be a hypocrite and say that. Okay, terrorism doesn't have a religion when it's someone else's uh, ideology, right? Mm-hmm. A religious book is guiding your ideology. Yet you say terrorism has a religion. And over here, it was none of our books are saying that, okay, go and kill someone. But yet you say saffron, saffron terror. Mm-hmm. Saffron is a color linked with uh, Tyaga. Tyaga is an essential part of being uh, of being of, of being on the path that any sadhu or sadhvi is on right you see uh, shankaracharya is wearing saffron right Sorry. so it's a very it's a color which is linked with our traditions so there's this sort of hypocrisy which goes on and i actually agree with your point that you know there are not many concerns that the hindu community has has had in the past. But mm-hmm. where I disagree with you is uh, the reason, the, like, sure, it was a reason for Modi getting elected. And Modi also knows that a significant percentage of his uh, electorate, of, 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 of the people who vote for him, are uh, sympathetic towards the Hindu cause. That's a no brainer, yes. But just because of this, uh, Modi has been re-elected in 2019, or rather, he was elected in 2014. Is I, I I think it's like a half truth. I think in 2014 he had this Gujarat model to back him up, and in 2019 he had all sorts of different things. He had the uh, the Jantan uh, thing. He had Mudra Yojana. He had the LPG thing. He had Swachh Bharat under which. You built toilets, etc. You solved a huge hygiene problem in rural India. Correct. So, so all because of because of all. This. And you know these are things which got noticed by the people, right? During the Congress and even during Hibari uh, Vajpayee's time and even before him, the government simply did not have the necessary infrastructure to give people the money directly, even though they could. Right? Banks were there. Banks could have managed. It's not that suddenly banks have hired thousand different people to help them, you know, open crores of accounts for these people. No, it's the same number of employees or just 
it's it's you understand right it's just the it's just that the execution and the idea behind the execution must be same and that's why the entire infrastructure the, the chain of infrastructure was missing when modi gave it uh, a shape using jandhan and other things which he did it became easy for the government to give money to give uh, a, a source of uh, a, a source of development if i may to the people but never seen development and that left a mark on their psyche and because of this they voted for it in in 2019 what i see but okay let, let me come back to the point which you raised earlier in your piece so the first point that you raised was that there is there are things that the uh, hindus have faced the we talked about the temple uh, the temples getting usurped by the government and stuff like that but what i would like to point out is that the bjp party did not like the their manifesto although it had a few things that were pretty hindu centric but that was not the main reason why they got elected in 2014 i think the main reasons why they got elected in 2014 was that there was massive anti incumbency that there was this this entire india against corruption movement by anna azhar there was also uh, the gujarat model of modi right he had a model and it it had worked i think it has worked and there was the charisma of modi himself right so mm-hmm. and also apart from this as as you also said that there was this sort of a hindu awakening of sorts yes it was there mm-hmm. but i would say that it was one of many factors that that played into uh, modi getting elected and then in 2019 he got reelected not because of uh, uh, he not only got reelected he got reelected with a reinforced mandate Right. so that happened because he was able to give the people who had never seen development before the kind of development that they would not have imagined what i'm talking about is getting uh, access to banks right getting access to the that jandhan yojana which he did and then there was the swachh bharat mm-hmm. swachh bharat solved a massive hygiene problem in india it has and then later he also uh, he came up with the the mudra yojana so in rural area people who are starting small businesses was pretty convenient to get you know mudra loans from this government government policy correct so because of all of these things the government provided the people who had never seen development a sort of infrastructure which was missing from the earlier governments which was missing from the earlier era so these people were noticing development i i, I might sound a bit uh, i don't know uh, actually incorrect maybe but i think they were they were witnessing development for the first time at this pace might be wrong but for most people i think it's true okay Let, let let me let me come back to another thing which you, which you talked about you talked about how uh, you know hindus have been singled out when it comes to uh, you know say be it terrorism communalism 
या कॉम्युनलिज्म ये भी या ऑब्वियसली एंड देयर हैज बीन सॉर्ट ऑफ अ हिपोक्रेसी दैट दैट्स बीन इन द एयर व्हेन इट कम्स टू टॉकिंग अबाउट टेररिज्म राइट सो व्हेन द अनफॉर्चूनेट इंसिडेंट्स ऑफ 2611 हैपेंड uh there was this whole narrative building that was taking place that uh, terrorism has no religion right when it's clearly mentioned in uh, the text of uh, these uh, significant people uh i'm talking about the religious texts uh mm-hmm. the, so many hateful things are written and uh, a recent uh, like uh, there was this recent news about uh, a shia waqf <coughs> board fellow raising this Uh, raising these concerns by right, in the supreme court right <clears throat> but at the same time when you have a person or people who are associated with uh the ideologies and the religious texts of hinduism and even if they later are proven to be not guilty you still tag their uh Uh, exist their entire existence uh, with sapendra and you even as far you go as far as uh, seeing that it's okay this is hindu terror okay mm-hmm. and you've got people who say that colonel like even today you say that okay colonel proj is a person of abetted terrorism whereas he is being let off he is not guilty okay. so this is where we are uh, uh, you were talking about fault lines so these are the kinds of fault lines which don't really exist uh but they are but they are made to exist okay like they were not there earlier but now that you have pointed out something which doesn't exist now people think that it does exist and therefore it does exist i mean i think you understand my point yes some somewhat agreed yeah this 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 brings me to a very important point when 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 i when we started i talked about i asked you rather mm-hmm. how would you describe politics in one word and you said decay right and this this resonates a lot considering the recent past especially with reforms for the agricultural sector mm mm-hmm. now we've had several economists saying the reforms were a right step they were much needed india went through a complete process of reformation in the 90s but the agricultural sector could not get those reforms and they finally mm-hmm. got it now yeah. like all economists and all economic policies there are the pro market economists and there's the pro government economists government economists mm-hmm. are the one who go for more regulations and yeah. the others are for less uh, no regulations essentially mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. both make valid points and both make sense sometimes mm-hmm. not all the times but sometimes depending on the circumstances at hand mm-hmm. but considering india i mean sure everything is political when it comes to politics by definition yeah. it's political mm-hmm. but whenever you go to do the right thing suddenly it just halts you know so the supreme court said just because the farmers are protesting let us halt the 
imposition of these laws for three years until uh, agreement is met between the government and the farmers. Now we know for a fact that these farmers do not represent the farmers of the country. They are predominantly the upper caste, steep, chart landowners who themselves hire actual farmers from Bihar and Uttar Pradesh to search for work, and they exploit them and they reap of the profits. Hmm. Now there might be a few farmers who are genuinely concerned and genuinely got scared into protesting. Sure, there might be, but we know for a fact that farmers from Karnataka and even farmers from Maharashtra are benefiting from these. Farm laws, the new farm laws. Mm. Kerala, which doesn't have APMC, is protesting because it's politics. Mm. So, don't you think that democracy, in such cases, mm. gets so polarized that it essentially fails to work as a system? You know, too many cooks spoil the broth. Mm. So, in such cases, how how does this? Stark division between people help in a country succeed. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so let me let me first go back to the farm laws uh, issue which you brought up. Mm-hmm. See earlier, be it any any government, okay. Whenever there is uh, some sort of reforms that need to be enacted. Mm-hmm. There is some sort of uh, opposition vote, be it from the political opposition, or be it from some unions that exist, or be it from just normal people okay, who are either misinformed or are deliberately doing it, or are genuinely uh, like genuinely opposing. Correct. But the thing is that the governments of India. From any party, have not had the spine to stick to what they uh, what they believe. In. Okay, so let, let's just take uh, let's just take the first instance of when this happened. Mm-hmm. Let, let let me take us all back to uh, Jawaharlal Nehru for a change. Okay, so he was part of the constituency. Yeah, uh-huh. he was part of the Constituent Assembly. He was mm. uh, one of the people who agreed that you know, uh, freedom of speech is sort of paramount. We need to have it. Mm. But yes. hypocritically, he was also the first person, like when he when he, he was when he was the prime minister, to introduce a restriction on freedom of expression. Right. The first. You, you understand? Yeah, the first amendment. Okay, so where I'm uh, trying to uh, drive this argument of yours is that mm-hmm. when you talk about democracy, Jawaharlal Nehru was of the opinion that you know censorship is the way to go forward. Right. Okay, but I think we should not look at. Uh, just diversity of opinion, and say that okay, censorship is is the solution. I think that it should not be a problem. Problem should always be proper communication. Okay, I, I uh, 
there was this movie that I, that I was watching. It was uh, mm-hmm. a sort of financial figure called Margin Call. I think people should watch it. So it's basically about uh, just some investment bank and this investment bank mm-hmm. just before the market crash of uh, 2008, they have figured out that the mortgage bonds, uh, mortgage-backed bonds that they have uh, are subprime and they're, they're basically worthless. Okay. They, yeah. they figure that out and they start selling their uh, assets to the same people who are buying from them. And so mm-hmm. they, they sell all of their assets and they come clean. And because of that, the entire thing goes into action and so crash happens. And in that, uh, there was this there was this one idea that uh, that is portrayed. And the idea is that if you want to communicate to some, if you want to communicate with with the best intentions in mind, then you need to make them understand as if you are trying to make a six year old understand. Okay. If you are able to do that, then you can make anyone understand. Okay, like it's it's uh, the art of communication is what I'm talking about. If you want to uh, get something done, then your uh, the message that you're communicating should be this clear that even a six-year-old will be able to understand. Okay, I think it's even even uh, like what I'm saying is politics is all about how. Uh, you communicate and what your message is. If your message is better than your competitor, then obviously you're going to win the election. Okay. Uh, similarly, if you are, you're wanting to pass some sort of a bill and make it into a law, then you need to have a very rock solid sort of a message. These days what is happening is that there's a, so there's a, a section of the media that is that hates you. And uh, in their blind hatred, they are not willing to listen to you. But at the same time, there's also this another sort of a medium, which sort of your boot you. Okay. And then there are a few people who are, uh, they're like fence sitters. And now you maybe want to look at them and uh, see, uh, maybe they can help you uh, communicate that six-year-old sort of a message to the other side of the fence. But you need to do something. You need to find solutions in this way, not by you know slamming censorship like what uh, Jawaharlal Nehru. And that fellow was hypocrite, right? In the Constituent Assembly, he said, "Yeah, freedom of speech." And then suddenly, when he is up in Prime Minister, he is uh, throwing off you, uh, throwing off uh, these regulations and restrictions at you. So we don't want to go down that road. If we want to have uh, a proper dialogue, then you cannot at the same time also have censorship, right? I think that diversity of opinion is what leads to the development of uh, the intellect, or, yeah, of thought. I think that is that is required. Even if that, okay, uh, I, for some reason I'm in this mood for uh, uh, for putting forward arguments through movies. Yeah, I'm, I don't know whether you have seen this uh, a movie called World War Z. Pretty sure you have. Of course, yes. Yeah, so in that, there's this scene uh, with, uh, uh, so, so the main guy, which is Brad Pitt, he's with Brad Pitt. This, yeah, so Brad Pitt is with uh, this uh, Jewish fellow. I forgot who that, who that guy was. I think he was like the uh, uh, the intelligence chief or something. So he was tasked with 
just blatantly disagreeing with what the majority means and just acting on it. He was the ninth, ninth man. Yeah, ninth man yeah, tenth man. Yeah, I think it's called the tenth man. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you have that kind of a mentality, that whatever Modi does, you just have to blatantly disagree with it. Even then, I think that you should at least have uh, the ability to put your that that message, which I'm saying, that that six year that that message, which even a six year old can understand. You should have that uh, go to him. Okay, that person who is blatantly disagreeing with you. Even that person should be able to look at your message. Okay, even in that kind of a hatred. Or that kind of a I don't know a triggered atmosphere I would like to call it. Uh, we should give these people also a chance, an option to look at what these people are doing without any lens. Okay, without any. Uh, uh, I think I think you understand what I'm saying. So yeah. if that happens, that is where my contention lies. Okay. The 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 tenth man, mm-hmm. like from the movie. Mm-hmm. For the, for our listeners who don't know what the analogy here is in the movie world war z the 10th man who we are referring to is the man who builds a massive wall the donald trump's example of a wall around a city in israel which keeps the zombies out and this 10th man was tasked with you know disagreeing with the general consensus and the general consensus said that zombies didn't exist that's the gist of the 10th man so mm-hmm. the 10th man had israel's best intentions in mind and that is why he made valid points to disagree with the other nine men hmm. but in india's current case when you speak of a democracy with free speech and you know a free so called market with many vested interests hmm. how do we know that the voices that dissent i'm not painting all of them in a negative way but how do we know that the voices that dissent are always in the favor of the nation okay i understand your point and i think it's a good question also uh well my answer to that will be that if if you know uh like or rather how you can identify whether this person has good intentions or not is by looking at their view about the culture and tradition of india okay mm-hmm. this this land has inherently and historically ha- has been a uh, indic okay uh, be it the uh, uh, the sindhu saraswati civilization or be it the gangetic civilization the mahajanpadas or the 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 kingdoms of pallava chola uh, even vijayanagar what i'm saying is that our culture is dharmic okay and if this the, the person who is blatantly disagree with this government has a disdain for these traditions okay mm-hmm. then you can see that this fellow is a uh, sort of compromised okay i'm i'm just giving you one of the signs okay, there are many signs like, like one of the other signs will be uh, an affinity towards the chinese way of music okay mm-hmm. just like what the communist party marxist does the sitaram yeshri fellow uh, yes. he is in constant contact with the chinese 
and English. It's a known fact. Yes, he okay. He even has admitted this on on one of the interviews that he gave on Quint, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was. It was a. Uh, oh, it was a bit way back. I think it was during the last elections of Kerala, uh, like five years ago. Like Kerala is just going to an election now, but I'm talking about Quint. Yes. Okay. But this is something that. Uh, these are cues which give your uh, tell away. I, I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You have these tells and uh, some some things you say, some some cues that you give away, they, they, are, they are enough for other people to understand that this fellow is with compromise. If you understand that this person is uh, does not have the right intentions at heart, then obviously you can discard them as an influencer, as an opinion leader. And if you don't think that you know this person is uh, compromised, then sure, if they have some sort of a, sorry, if they have some sort of an opposition to the view that is presented by the government, then yes, they obviously have their uh, uh, freedom to express it, and you must have you must give them the option uh, to make you uh, to to to, uh, to make you get convinced. Okay, you must give them that option. Now, uh, like one of the examples that I give for this is uh, like the, the BJP's hypocrisy when it comes to uh, their manifesto in Tamil Nadu. In Tamil Nadu, they are saying that yeah. okay, we're going to be supporting uh, this movement of freeing temples in Tamil Nadu. Okay, what about those temples which you just usurped in uh, uh, this thing in Uttarakhand? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. So what I'm saying is that anyone and everyone who opposes the government, um, the government has various chances, various things that they keep on doing. So, the idea itself that I'm against the government shouldn't be like a bipolar thing. It's it's multifaceted. I support the government in a few things. I disagree with the government in a few others. Okay. You That's cannot be... Yeah. You cannot be like okay, I'm perpetually in uh, like I'm perpetually at war with the government, and I just I'll keep on shitting on anything and everything that this government does. If some person comes off as uh, giving this kind of a vibe, and you can say okay, this person doesn't seem to be in the right kind of his mind. Okay, correct. Because if you think rationally, the Jantan Yojana, the other things which I mentioned, these are things that even the Congress could have done if they didn't. Right. Because they were busy, I don't know, doing 2G, 3G, etc. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This, this brings me to a very interesting point. I'll, I'll combine a few things you just said. Mm-hmm. Firstly, dharma slash traditions. Mm-hmm. Then, six years old. Yeah. And communism. Okay. I, I, from what I've seen as a student in university, in the university, as a student on social media, mm. as a normal human on social media, our generation, the average college-going student. Mm. Now, now, again, I don't mean to generalize, mm. but most. But this is something in your experience, right? Yeah, my experience, and I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure in the many people have seen this. I cannot mm. be the only one. Mm that, and not just in India, I'm talking about worldwide. 
most university students have some sort of a disdain towards tradition culture and history now mm. yes i am generalizing and i also know why because the tradition and culture of the west has a lot of cruel and miserable things that should be looked down upon mm. sadly unfortunately or coincidentally uh, the same western culture is imposed on india and that mm. makes indian students look at indian culture and heritage the same way i'm not saying that indian culture was spot on clean and it didn't have its own social evils it did mm. and it should be looked down upon as well but there's this general notion of rejecting everything that is traditional rejecting everything that resembles some semblance of culture heritage or you know timeless for lack of better word everything that has existed for more than 100 years is automatically regressive and backward and uh being for human society you know there's this general notion especially amongst college students you know i have mm-hmm. seen people in my days in the university i say days because none of us have been has been to the college in the last year mm-hmm. obviously but you know there's this general trend of in our case gen z in our parents case i'd say the boomers or whatever whatever the word is mm-hmm. those who visit college quite often turn quote unquote woke you know mm-hmm. they are the people who have awoken from the clutches of society and they can see that everything that is traditional is regressive oppressive and backward so mm. how how do you make sense of this in india's context especially when we as a culture hold dharma to such a high standard mm. okay see sir a difficult question to answer because uh, i think that there should be some significant uh research that needs to be done in this area and we need to have you know solid data to come to conclusions but i have a few arguments of my uh so these are just based on my experiences so i cannot uh say that you know these can be corroborated with data so but i'll i'll anyway try to answer your questions uh when it comes to uh dharma well i think that the teachings of dharma are not actually you know uh, given formally to most people in india these days that's pretty unfortunate but what what is dharma what is dharma we keep talking about it but what is it okay see first of all to understand dharma is in itself a big deal so let let me try to give you the answer in as little words as possible so first of all dharma doesn't have a, a direct translation in english anything that comes close to dharma is uh, it is multifaceted first so the first thing is your duty okay your responsibility so again responsibility are multifolds okay you have a responsibility as a your responsibility as a father your responsibility as as just a citizen okay so there are multiple levels of responsibility mm-hmm. so these are also your dharma now apart from this there is also just 
the way in which your life is uh, uh, laid out. Okay. I'm not talking about your life as in uh, a person's life. Yeah, generally. I'm, I'm, generally. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the way in which a person's life is laid out, at least in, in this part of the world, it draws inspirations from uh, ideas that are linked with sacrifice, linked with uh, liberation, linked with nature. Okay. These are just few of the things that are there. Uh, obviously, many different things. These are the few things that have come to my mind right now. So these are the things in which we uh, earlier, not today. Today we are pretty hungry for money, etc. But earlier it was it was like these were the ideals. That is one of the main reasons why we worship Ram as a as a god. Okay. So these are the ideals of the ideal man or the ideal person. So these are things which are linked with responsibilities and duties that you need to fulfill when you come to, uh, come to when you come to live as a civilized person. Okay. So this is what I think the gist of dharma is. Okay. So in dharma, uh, there are few few things which. Uh, everyone gets and there are few things which not everyone uh, unfortunately uh, they are okay what I'm saying is that I like in my upbringing I had sort of like the privilege of uh, getting uh, the knowledge of the Vedas because of my birth but at the same time there are a few people who might not have had that kind of privilege it entirely depends on uh, your upbringing, your family structure, what your family is into. Like even if uh, I was born in a Brahmin family that did not have access to the Vedas, and just by being a Brahmin, I could not have had the privilege of learning them. Okay. So there are so many different uh, variables in, in that. Your upbringing is there, your family structure, what a family does in professions. So where I'm trying to get this conversation to is that in these days, there simply is no way in which people are getting imparted the knowledge of them. Let me actually uh, quote a person. Uh, there's this person called, uh, he's, he's an IM professor called uh, R. Professor R. Vedna. Okay. So he wrote this book called... Uh, I, even you were there. He wrote this book called Caste as Social Capital. Right. Yes. Right. So, uh, in that, what he says is, and this is something that, you know, many people who, when, when, when we talk of caste, there are many people who suddenly say, okay, yeah, caste is very oppressive. Yes, it was. But then they give, uh, you know, examples that education was a problem. People were not getting educated. People of the lower castes not getting educated. Okay, this is from a historical angle, this is completely wrong. Because let me give you some data. Okay, I'm just quoting from his book right now. Uh, according to the survey conducted between 1822 and 1825 in the Madras presidency, that, that is the whole of the Indian states of Tamil Nadu, and parts of Odisha, Kerala, and Karnataka, 11,575 schools and 1,094 colleges were then in existence and in the presidency, 
uh, in the presidency and the number of students in them were 157195 and 5431 respectively and out of them share of shudras in schools of tamil speaking areas was 70 to 80% of odia speaking areas was 62% of malayalam speaking areas was 54% of telugu speaking areas was anywhere between 35 to 50% and at the same time the share of brahmins in tamil speaking areas of madras were only 23% Hmm. Okay, this is baffling, isn't it? It is. And I'm talking about dharmic education. Okay, I mean, these are these are not all the convent schools, etc. Okay, these are proper, uh, you know. Okay, these are not exactly gurukul things. These are schools, but these are schools of uh, uh, schools where Hindu. sort of a structure of syllabus was there <clears throat> i think you get my point okay yeah, yeah yeah so so where i'm going with this is is that even in in uh, days or the or the era before the british completely destroyed our education system our uh, like our our entire uh, uh, sort of the way we live okay our way of life was mm-hmm. was annihilated so before that happened everyone like everyone from every walk of life had me the uh, the dharmic knowledge was imparted to these people but these days what has happened is that as i told you before that we're not getting anything sufficient okay? and even the people who are getting it are uh, saying okay this is pure bullshit okay I'm, I'm talking about the people who live in you know urban setups like us, and who are saying the you know uh, who have been fed with silver spoons etc. Who have not seen uh, hardship. So these are the people I'm talking about. Okay. Hmm. So what happens is that the the teenagers and the you know the the people who are just getting into college, what they see here is that. they have a lot of young blood like the school of aggression and they see a lot of problems okay and we live in india india has millions of problems yes. so see a lot of problems and now you want to solve these problems but before you solve these problems you think that okay there might be something already which some person in the past has already done which might you know help in help in solving the problems so the, mm-hmm. the thought process is that maybe someone in history has already solved the problem so i just need to go back and look at it and that is where communism comes into picture communism paints this you know like if communism is adopted then everything is fine and dandy everybody is equal etc etc right so this is the picture that they think is what they'll get when they end up painting the entire country with communism that is all what happens And these people, they come to know about it when they leave college. Okay. Majority of them, they get their minds straight, they get their heads straight, and they say, "Okay, communism sucks." Right. Yeah. But when you, you are in college, their first salary to be taken away by the government. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously. So what happens is that when you when you are in college, you. you 
see all of these problems that exist and you want to solve them and that 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 uh uh the way in which you think that yes these problems are real and i want to solve them that is pretty honest i think okay that bit is honest but then you think that okay maybe someone has already solved it so that's why let me look behind let me go into the history and check that is where you come across communism and you think okay it's really good and now let me just you know implement this and see what happens and obviously it has failed in the past it will fail in the future you sort of get the picture that yeah this communism thing doesn't work and then you come back to you know uh, same old uh, sort of a cronyistic capitalism sort of a thing that 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 is practiced in india these days you come back to that and you say okay this is the best we can do so let's see here because communism sure as hell doesn't work so yeah i i don't think i have answered your question right. entirely but i think that this may uh, may open up a few more questions that the audience might have that is, that is that is what i mean true 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 it's it's funny because we 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 talk about history and culture as if we are not a part of it i think in a yeah. modern day conversation we think of the present or ourself as detached from history and culture maybe we need to realize that in 50 years time or even by the time maybe our grandchildren grow up we will become contemporary history or our times will become contemporary history and whatever social changes we might do now might be considered to be great social movements in the future you know so it is in that in that same uh lane of thought or road of thought or whatever you might want to think of it people fail to realize that democracy capitalism and communism are still not perfect systems i mean we know for a fact that dictatorship is wrong it's bad for sure but is a democracy also fully perfect of course not i mean america is a democracy india is a democracy china is uh elected autocracy it's not it's not it's not it's not elected it's a fake democracy or whatever whatever it's not even a democracy it's communism and all three of these are failing miserably we see what's happening in america that country is tearing itself down we see china on the other hand which is surprisingly building up stronger even though we know communism fails and those who adhere to communism used china as an example but failed to address their extremities their wrongdoings sweatshops their exploitation and genocide of the uyghurs etc mm-hmm. but they want to paint india which is actually a democracy as a country which is you know committing a genocide in kashmir for mm-hmm. some for somehow they use the same yardstick 
for two countries, but completely missed the markings. So we're still developing the perfect form and society of governance and, you know, mm. we're still developing the perfect form of governance. And I think that is where the current generation needs an anchor, which I believe the communists completely eradicated when they took over the education ministry in Indira's time, mm. Gandhi's time, you know. That when we talk about dharma and when he was talking about how people should dissent against the government but keeping their dharma in mind, our generation does not know of dharma because the communists wiped it out from our history books. So unless we have an anchor to hold us to whatever morals we hold dear to us, which ideally should be dharma, I think no matter how pro-political party you are or anti-political party you are, no matter how much you like the BJP or hate the BJP, you will still end up hurting the country because you don't have a moral anchor which attaches you from what's important. Hmm. I think, I mean, I hope that changes. I think the UGC just... uh, announced new a uh, new history syllabus yesterday you know to mm. talk about the concept of india bharatwarsh and mm. gladly it mentions that Temur and babar were invaders and not rulers mm. so that's a plus that's a win so i hope the concept of dharma is also inculcated into our textbooks but that leaves us with the main point how do we solve this paralyzing polarity you know We've been talking for an hour. We've covered the social aspects, the economic aspects, the political aspects. How do we mend this political polarity and social polarity? We know cultures will always clash. We know ideas and ideologies will always clash. But how do we unite under a single idea? What do you think can be done? I think, uh, see, ideologies clash. Ideas also clash because it is a hard But the thing is that what brings us together as Indians should be, at least for now, that should be the, the, the one thing that overlaps uh, or, or rather the one thing that binds our ideas together. Okay, I... I let, let, let me let me uh, elaborate on my point. What I'm what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. you might have the opinion that we, we need to go a bit more harsher on Pakistan. Okay, you might have the opinion that uh, we should shake hands with China uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, doing business with them, but at the same time maintain enmity when it comes to the uh, border dispute. You might have the opinion that. Uh, uh, so-and-so reforms are evil because of so-and-so reasons. Not just because I, I just gave you. That's why they're evil. You should not have that kind of opinion. But if you do, then your ideas will not overlap with mine in the long run. But if it doesn't, like, but if you have uh, genuine problems, if you have genuine disagreements, you will still have the right uh, ideas 
moving forward when it comes to the idea of uh, the growth and development of india that should be the point where all our ideas must converge if that happens and if it is happening for most of our people then then it's it's fine then we don't need to solve the uh, the bipolar nature of uh, you know the 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 social social economic polarity is i think that that's what we're talking about it's it's fine is what i'm saying we can have disagreements in fact i say we should but there must be some sort of an overlap in our ideas when it comes to the bigger picture bigger picture being india right because in india india is not just a piece of land india is a culture in in correct in india there are vast ideas which are still unexplored okay like let me just give you give you give you one example there are so many different sanskrit manuscripts just to example and we bloody don't even know how to read sanskrit that's that's kind of a, that, that's the pathetic place in which we are right correct but this this is our identity right we should have some sort of a uh, some sort of an overlap of ideas when it comes to our identity of india of uh, uh, the traditions that have been here since since 4000 5000 years from way from past okay and we should we should be bound by these ideas uh, in the long run right and we might have disagreements regarding some uh, reform regarding some external affairs issue regarding uh, anything that is minor okay. over there we should have uh, we should fight like hell but when it comes to the majority issues as in the idea that itself is uh, 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 that 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 makes the foundation of india over there we should not have any uh, disagreements over there no? and to, to ensure something like that i think this government has taken the right step by as you said inculcating the right right as in the both, both the political and the factual sense of the word right step is what they've taken uh, when they've introduced that uh, you know this bomber fellow tenu all of them these people mm-hmm. are invaders not rulers and also earlier in in the uh, nep 2020 the education policy they have uh, which they came up with even in that they are they were saying that yes we will uh, put more focus on sanskrit on pali prakrit etc like these are our languages which are fading away very drastically and we need to do something about it. and luckily this government has paid attention to all of this and hopefully and this is a big hopefully sort of a other provisions uh they also pay attention to the traditional form of education because mm-hmm. i don't know whether you have noticed or not but there's far too less people who uh who are you know imparting traditional knowledge what i do, what do i mean by traditional knowledge what i mean is uh Okay, these are something that you know the liberal people they might call this pseudo science, but I don't care. What I'm saying is the uh, uh, the astrologers, the Hindu astrologers, and all that. Yeah, also mm-hmm. the ritual people. 
so the astrologers or the uh, mm-hmm. the pujaris okay these pandits okay i think that even these people should be looked after i don't mean mean like a looked after in a communist sort of way what i mean is that yeah. they also need to be given an infrastructure to survive okay Correct. because it's it's very hard for these people to survive and i don't know whether your uh, you know people in general are mutus or not but the uh, the religious sort of idea development or the ideation comes from these people okay people who are who have given who have given their time energy uh, and everything to uh, towards these arts and sciences okay. mm-hmm. and uh, i think we should we should at least offer them a sort of an infrastructure which helps them and people like them from the in the future to survive so that that is one of the points and uh, to conclude my argument i would say that uh disagreements are completely fine we should have them but at the same time uh when it comes to the national level or the or the level in which uh, you know the idea of india is in question i think over there we should be solid as a rock i i i like the points that you made especially about you know people from all opinions and various clashing opinions and ideologies coming together and working for a single cause mm-hmm. this is my last question this mm-hmm. will be the most contentious controversial communal whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. we live in a society where the government today mm-hmm. or yesterday announced that Taimur was an invader and not a ruler. Mm. But we have people in our society who think that Mahmud Ghazni, Mahmud Ghazni, who destroyed the Somnath Temple, was a hero. Mm. We have an actor who named this child Taimur. Mm. We have many people prescribing to the ideologies and, let's be frank, religion of mm. these invaders. Mm. and they glorify whatever heinous acts that they did mm. upon the natives of this land mm. only because they share the same religion and they do not give a damn about the common culture that both the victims and the same people who glorify the invaders share so mm. how do you think will both the indian left and i'm talking to the social left not the uh, not the actual liberal and liberal and conservative left right just social left which is made up of all the abrahamic religions and the social right which is made up of hindus ever unite under a common banner when we cannot even agree on our own history okay uh, we are saying that this- a happened b happened c happened but both sides think of different people as the heroes the right might think that uh, no i i understand you shivaji was a hero someone might think that aurangzeb was a hero so in that case no 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 so okay i i understood your point uh okay so the thing here is that there are a few things that we need to ex- we need to accept So the first thing is that the muslims of india 
are unfortunately having an identity crisis. Okay, and we need to help them sort this out. <clears throat> what do I mean by this? Is that they don't have a figure that is indic in nature to whom they look up to. Okay, and this is something that even Tarik Fatah has raised in the past. Right, he he says that you know his parents named him Tarik. Uh, because of Tariq Ibn Ziyad, who was a person who invaded Spain. Okay. Uh, and I think you get the picture, right? So these people, they are inspired by these invaders. Uh, and at the same time, they also know that their ancestors were uh, the natives of India. What this means is that they were basically Hindus. And they got converted, and now they are naming after the people who forced them to convert. Okay, mm. that that's kind of the it's not even a dichotomy; it's, it's a straightforward identity crisis. So we need to help them sort out this identity crisis. Like you talked about Aurangzeb for a bit over there, I would say that rather than glorify Aurangzeb, glorify his brother, his brother Dara Shikoh was. Are the few people who got the Upanishads translated into Parsi, Persian, and just because it got translated to Persian, it was sent across to the Europe, uh, to the those uh, European missionary people, and then they converted it into, uh, sorry, they translated it into the European languages. Okay, correct. So it's not just the Muslims of India, but even you know, we should say that yeah, this fellow helped us. Uh, even even in uh, ignorance, he helped us send our message across the world. Okay. So these uh, and there are so many different Muslims from uh, like within history. Let's take uh, Sant Kabir for example. This fellow is awesome. The most famous example. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is this is not something that. Uh, uh, we alone can do. Okay. I mean, I mean, just to I know that you just took one example. There are many different areas where the social left and social right is at uh, like it's completely 180. There's no hope of them ever agreeing on anything. But as I said earlier, <clears throat> it's it's just a very small minority, even within these two factions. That is uh, uh, sending sending information top down, and then the uh, I mean, see these are basically two pyramids. These are not just points on a number line. These are two pyramids, and the people on the top, like the one percenters, or on both sides, mm -hmm. they are the ones who have access to all the information, and then they just give the information in a uh, in a top down sort of a way, in a trickle down effect. Also, the economics I'm talking to a trickle down effect, and then towards the end of uh, that, uh, the, the journey of information, like, like the bottom, uh, the, the people on the bottom of the pyramid, they just basically sheep. They just repeat what the, uh, the top one percenters are saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what I'm basically saying is that if you communicate, I'm again bringing the six, six year old sort of a if you communicate like that, if you are a very excellent communicator, 
then you can convert those people's ideologies also. Like who are on the social left, but who are not part of that one percent, or the people who possess all that information. Okay, who are not ideologically possessed. Not all on the uh, social left, or not all on the social right, are ideologically possessed. There are people who want to be rational. But just for the sake of I don't know peer pressure or something or the other, they're saying yes. Or lack of knowledge or lack of knowledge, yeah, or ignorance. Is right? Mm-hmm. Because just because of that, they're saying so and so. So I think that communication is key, and at the same time, uh, the, the the small sort of a uh, problem which you brought up of uh, mm-hmm. you know, Muslims naming their children or rather. Muslims of India being inspired by invaders who plundered India. So this is pure and simple. This is an identity crisis. We need to help Muslims figure this out. And how do we help it? In itself is a mystery. I think that uh, at least the Islam that is practiced in India, that the majority is pretty unshakable. Uh, what I mean by unshakable is that you cannot begin reforms in India. But if you try and do that, then there'll be violence on the streets. Uh, so it is something that I think should be, uh, I don't know, left for the next generations to figure out, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure how to solve it, but I think at least we should have uh, uh, a sense that, yes, we need to solve it. We cannot just say, okay, this is something we cannot do anything. Uh, so let's just keep it in those rules. We should not have that kind of an attitude. We should keep reminding these people that yes, you have an identity crisis and you need to solve it. So essentially, we target the subjects of the fundamentals, hmm. and you hope to give them enough knowledge to challenge their own beliefs, right. and then you hope that they look past their present situation and try hmm. to empathize with those who. Have suffered in the past, right? So and then maybe the social left can empathize the social right mm. under the banner of a collective oppression by the colonial forces, the Dutch, the French, the British, the Europeans, mm. and then maybe they can understand what the social right felt before the colonial war. So I think it's all about finding common ground. Interesting. So let's leave these topics aside for a moment. Mm-hmm. I think we've wrapped it up all in a very nice, tight little, you know, bow on yeah. the dog. Yeah. What is the problem? What you're facing? And what is the solution? Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the important stuff. Okay, there's How was the side effect? Yes. <laughs> How was the Snyder Cut? Okay. I actually liked it a lot. I I think yes. that yeah, so I think that I'll, I'll just tell you the truth. Okay? Uh, the moment uh, till uh, I think it was like uh, I'm actually forgetting uh, mm-hmm. I think the concept of unity was not there in uh, the Justice League, I guess. Like the Justice League. <laughs> I think it was not yes. there. It wasn't. 
the moment they introduced that i was like okay like up till that point i was still a bit skeptical like i was 3 hours into the movie and i was still thinking mm. okay what are they doing exactly mm. and then after that they brought in the idea ki okay you might actually have you know dark side having a lot more influence on on the characters and then later they actually won for a brief moment everyone got incinerated or something happened right yes and then uh, barry allen had to go to the street horse yeah yes and he had to come back oh my god that part that was that was that awesome bro was, yeah that blew my mind yeah that was that was good as as a marvel fan i cannot say that that was of the equal level as the portal scene from avengers from end game yeah what the moment you realize that he is running and then everything is coming back exploding in his background yeah yeah <laughs> you realize okay yeah shit got real and this is going to be precedent for something big yeah but but somewhere i was hoping that they would tease flashpoint you know there'll be like one man in yellow standing with red eyes like looking at him or something oh damn man in some that would have been awesome it was that would have been awesome that would have been awesome yes but you know actually i i thought that they did justice uh, to the character of uh, cyborg because cyborg. he did not yeah he did not have anything in in, uh, in the theatrical release correct correct he did not just apparently yeah. is racist Sparky is a racist one. I mean, hmm. see, I think. Uh, okay, see, this is this is what I think. Okay, let let, let me put everything uh, in, in like a picture. Doc hmm. Smedel is a person who directly used to direct things on TV. Okay, and then he hmm. came onto Avengers, and in, even in Avengers, uh, I think what he was doing is. Uh, He was using self-deprecative jokes and fourth wall breaks to survive. Correct. Yes, that is what I uh, that is what I took out of uh, mm-hmm. Avengers, uh, like Avengers One and uh, Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. And he tried to do the same thing in Justice League, like that that moment when they resurrect Superman, and then uh, the, he wants to have some sort of a Road reversal of Batman vs Superman, and Superman asks Batman, "Do you bleed?" And then he throws him away like he's some sort of trash. And then Batman actually says, "Okay, I think something, something's bleeding." That was such so cheesy. That was so bad. Like Batman doesn't joke around. Watching exactly before watching the uh, Snyder cut, just yeah. for nostalgia's sake, to remember what I hate. Yeah. I was watching Batman vs Superman. and then i watched the theatrical release of justice league just to watch the forers of the new movie or of the same movie rather uh, i realized the character change from batman v superman was so different in the theatrical release of justice league it felt like two different universes yeah even in bbs bruce wayne is so serious the entire time he makes no jokes even his badass one liners are badass yeah somehow in justice league he is joking around as if usne kuch trauma hi nahi sahaya robin yeah. didn't die at all yeah. you know also 180 uh, <clears throat> in 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 josh whedon's justice league 
ಸೂಪರ್ಮ್ಯಾನ್ that doesn't happen in dc yeah it doesn't they don't laugh yeah it's it's so bad but but i'm so happy that the strider cut came out yeah and you know actually okay, i i was i was uh, pretty high when i saw dark side yeah, i won't tell you yes so that ending scene uh, like just before the epilogue scene uh, uh-huh. like when they kill stephen wolf na Uh, when yeah what a woman cuts off his head yeah. yeah that was so awesome you know like his whole body is uh uh going back to apocalypse and hmm. uh, dark side is just stomping on his head his decapitated crushes it that was that was awesome that was, that was so awesome yeah. Yeah. This, the, i i mean the movie was amazing yeah but i truly am excited for what's next you know because zack snyder has teased two things mm-hmm. firstly the whole dark side uh, story arc yeah. and secondly the injustice story arc yeah exactly now i don't know how this is going to happen maybe fighting dark side will lead to uh, lois's death maybe batman will have to sacrifice lois to kill dark side maybe i don't know what okay uh see some sort of spoilers is what i or i think i'll give you uh, okay so there's this other fellow i think his name is okay whoever is listening spoiler alert you might want to yeah, ask for <laughs> next 2 seconds no wait it's not just 2 seconds it's more than that okay so you might not want to skip ahead to whenever you want to it's your risk it's a gamble <laughs> yeah so the, i think that fellow's name is jimmy he and jack snyder these people they uh-huh. sat together and this is this is way before justice league even went into production production mm-hmm. so these people they sat together and they thought they, what they what they do with uh, uh, their their idea of archaeology with justice league mm-hmm. so the the nightmare scene that was there in batman vs superman is what uh-huh. is what Zack Snyder wanted to uh, elaborate okay and after 2017 everyone thought that okay Zack Snyder unfortunately suffered it, that uh, not that most which is some his daughter died so yeah he had to uh, come out of that project important yes and, and when uh, justice league josh whedon version fucked and like uh, it failed at the box office one brother said that okay this entire thing is a sham so now you have to call it a close details yeah and what happened is that for a brief moment uh, i think they were these were story books of justice league uh-huh. 2 and 3 which got leaked and they immediately were deleted obviously but yeah uh, now there's like a fair idea of what could have happened uh, so uh, so the kind of nightmare scenes that are there in justice league uh, snedeka are uh, the one which uh, cyborg sees like just before resurrecting okay. superman 
and then the one which uh, Bruce sees like towards the end in the episode. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go one by one. What will basically happen in uh, what was supposed to happen in Justice League Two mm-hmm. is take up the uh, the deserted version of uh, like, like like that kind of a future. Okay. Okay. Dark side has already taken over. Okay. And now you you are left with uh, just these few people, few members of the Justice League, and they're trying to find uh, find a way to you know undo this whole thing. And they are relying on Flash to do it. And so what happens is they are relying on Flash to go back in time and fix all of this. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, at least the storyboards what, what the storyboards are supposedly saying is that uh, so there's some sort of a planetary position or something like that which helps flash travel back in time very quickly and that sort of a planetary position or something like that it is it only happens once a year so you can only go back in time once a year so okay went back in time during bbs and he says this word, am I too soon? No, I am too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that is basically him wasting a year. Oh, okay. And now what will happen is that the Justice League 2's cliffhanger was supposed to be when uh, Flash goes back in time for the second time and he goes back to the right place and that's the cliffhanger. And then that's in Justice League Lewis's escape. Yeah, he says that again, but to a separate Batman. But I mean, Batman from from a separate uh, from from the fu- uh, Batman in the future, but a a, a, a more uh, a Batman with more knowledge than uh, what he had in previous. Okay. Okay. So a Batman after uh, the fight with Steppenwolf. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So basically, what happens after the after Justice League 1, is that uh, Darkseid is supposed to turn up. So he comes. And then before he does, it seems that uh, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor uh, mm-hmm. has formed his uh, sort of Injustice Club, or I don't know what they call themselves. Yeah, that line of, uh, of Alliance Stroke and all. Yeah, yeah, those people. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he has allied himself with uh, Darkseid. And then oh, oh. Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor gives Darkseid the idea that no, uh, if you kill Lois, then Superman will go rogue. And then a rogue Superman is like a destructive Superman. And then you can maybe play with his emotions and make him turn on his, like the rest of these people. And that is what happens. And then he, he becomes Dark Side's medium. And then he is let loose on, on Earth. And now you've got these few people, a Batman. Uh, there's Cyborg, Flash, etc. Uh-huh. And now they're trying to fight back. But then what happens is uh, you know, they, they come across this idea that okay, we can't save everyone. So it's basically better to unfuck this entire timeline and go back in time and uh, warn someone from mm-hmm. the past. So Flash tries it once he and he goes back to the time of BBS, so it basically failed. Mm-hmm. And then now he has to do it again. And towards the end of the movie, he was supposed to, like, end of the movie of Justice League 2. He was supposed to go back in time again to the right time. 
and uh, give the message to Bruce Lee. And then in Justice League 3, uh, I don't exactly know how it was supposed to end, but mm-hmm. Batman was supposedly going to sacrifice himself fighting outside a home, protecting Lois, and he was the one who was supposed to die in case of Lois. That pisses off Superman so much, but he doesn't go home. But he just hates Darkseid for it, and like, the entire Justice League fights on Darkseid and probably kills him or he flees or something. That was supposed to have happened. But I don't think we are going to get that kind of a story. Because mm. they, they, they tease the anti life equation. Yeah, exactly. Which is apparently a very uh, you know game-changing thing in the comics. I haven't read yeah. the comics completely. I know, mm-hmm. blasphemy, but <laughs> no, it's not. It's not exactly blasphemy. Okay, okay it's apostasy, whatever. Okay. so the anti-life equation is this psychic formula that can let dark side control free will. Yeah, across the multiverse. That is. Yes. So I don't know why they've made it. I don't know. So in the movie, they showed that dark side smashed a hammer into the ground. It formed a massive pattern, which is the antenna equation. And then he forgot where it is. I mean, he didn't know that the planet was called Earth. And when he had to uh, retreat, he forgot where he smashed the hammer. And now he's finding the antenna equation again. So... I don't know how he forgot his own weapon in the first place. And I don't know why it is an inscription on the ground. And I don't know what and how it will turn into a mind control thing across the multiverse. And how that factors in into this timeline that Zack Snyder created. Uh, See, I I don't have all the answers. But uh, one of the theories that uh, I think is only what I've thought people might have come up with this before, but I don't know. So I think that uh, dark side smashing this hammer or weapon or mountain, that entire symbol coming out, is uh, mm-hmm. his uh, hallucination, is what I'm doing. Because even Steppenwolf didn't, uh, didn't do it physically. He did it all in his head. But it happened because the mother boxes indicated it to him that Yes, these uh, uh, like this anti-life equation or whatever it, it exists on Earth. So he, he didn't do it physically; he just did it inside his head. So what I think is, when uh, Wonder Woman is telling this story, she doesn't talk about anti-life equation at all. Correct. It's just the visuals which show us that okay, dark side figured it out. Uh, yes. So I think Darkseid figured it out inside his head and maybe he forgot where he was fighting when he figured it out. Because mm. this happened like some 5,000 years ago. 5,000 years is like a long time. Mm. But he's a new god, I don't know. 5,000 years ago. Wait a second for that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, like, I, I don't think this answers the question. It's one thing. Yeah, it's, it's weird because he knows that he fought against Atlanteans and Amazonians, which he knows are on Earth. And in his mind, he knows the equation is there. So why can't he just do one plus one key 
the planet where the equation was was the place where i fought atlanteans and amazonians which means that if they are on earth which means the equation also has to be on earth yeah i don't know so this implies that dark side is down but that is obviously not the case how can he be down i mean i don't know it's, it's like a it's a problem the spider doesn't have all the answers yeah it doesn't that <laughs> but it's a very good precedent you know ki fans can bully a massive multi billion dollar studio into doing what they want to do yeah but bro like and mm-hmm. see i tell you uh, anything that the uh, like any any production house if they feel that the fans will watch a second movie which is linked to one of their movies then they'll throw money at it and they make a sequel out of it like they bloody made a sequel out of hangover correct oh my god yeah no sequels yeah exactly they made a trilogy out of it so i think uh, mm-hmm. i mean when when there was this release uh, this satirical sort of a twitter thread uh, was going yeah on. yeah so I, i'm pretty sure that you know these executives are on a purpose so sort of, okay there's uh, too many people they're like there's a sizable uh, a chunk of people on the internet who want to want to look at this that's why they thought that okay we will throw 70 million at you that's how it was on the no i it, it made a big impact because i think 3 days back when it was launched i think it was launched on last thursday or last two last thursday i don't yeah. know exactly yeah. and two days i think in india book my show had a record of some 1.5 lakh streams or demand wow. streams for the spider cut yeah Either one point five lakh or fifteen thousand. I am unsure. But both thousand is okay. Big numbers. Yeah. So I think thousand is okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. And you know, I I don't like kissing a big corporation's ass, but it takes courage to admit that your executive decisions are wrong. And I think I think uh, just. bringing Joss Whedon to complete Zack Snyder's work was like that was straight up criminal. Why the fuck would you get some exactly someone exactly. who okay uh, just just to make a comparison, uh, any of the action scenes uh, that are directed by Zack Snyder, you just pause them. They look like a graphic novel. Oh, every scene, every yeah. scene. But if you do the same for Avengers, it might not look like that. Correct. Right. No, but to be honest, when I saw uh, Wonder Woman's entrance in that bank scene, mm-hmm. it was—I mean, let's be honest—her scene was cringy. You know, she's going around super fast, dodging bullets. It mm-hmm. feels very cartoonish. You know, suddenly mm-hmm. she's the Flash. She's just walking around, waving her hands in the air, and bullets are getting dodged. And it, oh, it but that, that's like her USP, man. Like, like, if you look at, look, uh, I, I, I think that scene was done better in the first movie. Hmm. Minus the blood. I mean, the blood makes it better, obviously. Yeah. But I still think the at least the CGI for that scene was better hmm. in the first in the theatrical release because it didn't feel very wonky. Hmm. Throughout the movie, see, we know Flash is super fast. We know uh, Superman is faster than the Flash, apparently. But whenever they are fighting at super speeds, 
it doesn't look very janky you know it doesn't look very comical mm. you have that one scene of wonder woman and it just feels like you know you have uh, you're in gta and you just went and put in some cheat code so you know yeah and speed and suddenly you're on god mode wo ek okay aadmi ko chupta maar raha hai and wo ud ke yeah exactly I mean, yeah it had its flaws but as yeah, a whole yeah. it was an amazing movie oh but it was now like, it was like redemption uh, oh definitely definitely and now they are launching the snider cut four hours but a completely black and white movie yeah and, and supposedly it has some uh, no extra joker scene yeah extra joker scene ఫోర్ <laughs> లీగల్ రీజన్స్ Ah, but good talking to you i think we've stretched long enough yeah definitely people aren't sleeping yet they are probably stop listening to us anyways exactly so i had a wonderful time and you know i look forward to having you on the next one yeah sure i think we should do this definitely definitely anything that you would like to say to the listeners before we sign off yeah i think that uh, just having uh, like a decluttered mind mm-hmm. uh, an unbiased approach to listening to other people's these things is what we should have no uh, apart from apart from uh, see every person like every person across this planet has their own biases because of their upbringing and we cannot do anything about but apart from that Absolutely. apart from that you should be uh, uh, pretty unbiased when it comes to other people's sensing at, at least when you are listening so that is that is what i think uh, i would say and uh, yeah that's about it all right thank you bashupati for joining yeah. us first episodes of the centered podcast and thank you you are most welcome the audience thank you the audience for listening to us and remember these are tough times corona isn't over yet if anything the second wave is just about to begin so stay safe begun stay healthy it is agreed begun so stay safe stay healthy stay sanitized and most importantly stay centered thank you very oh, much yes. and join us for the next episode